Good morning, Greater Alton. How's everybody doing today? Good deal. Happy Easter. Thank you, Morgan. Thank you. Anyway, I'm Gary, and I want to welcome everybody out to Greater Alton for Easter Sunday today. Um, guys, when Danny was up here, and Danny was one of the gentlemen singing that did the opening, and he talked about the resurrection. That's what Easter is all about, is celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And he talked about how powerful that is and how significant that is. And guys, depending on who you are, you may or may not understand that. You may or may not get excited about it. And I have a confession to make that historically for me, I have not been a fan of the Easter holiday. Now, I love the resurrection of Jesus, as we're going to find about later as I talk today. Uh, I told the teacher service that I wasn't a fan of Easter, and somebody spoke up and said, Gary, you're not a fan of any holiday. And, guys, and my main, the main challenge for me personally with some of the specific holidays, and specifically religious holidays, is that they're more about what man has created than they're what about God has said. You know? Uh, You won't find anything about the Easter bunny or Easter egg hunts in the Bible. It's not there. Nor is there anything about Santa Claus. Okay? Uh, There's nothing wrong with traditions until you believe them or accept them more than you accept what God has to say. And guys, today, I've been up here for, for several years and I always talk about how we get the chance to remember Jesus' death every Sunday when we take communion. And I mention his death because you can't talk about Jesus' resurrection without mentioning his death. He had to die before he could be resurrected. But guys, over the last, and I must confess that in years gone by, uh, not only did I, was I not excited about the Easter holiday, I, I have to just have to confess, the resurrection of Jesus did not hold the significance in my faith that it should have. I mean, I believed in it, don't get me wrong. I've been raised going to church, and I believe Jesus was killed on Friday, crucified on the cross, and rose on Sunday. I was taught that from the youngest of age, and I believe that. I've never questioned that. But it was more like just a fact, you know, that I knew and I believed, and I set up on the shelf, and uh, occasionally I'd bring it out. I mean, I'd, I'd heard all the, all the, the evidence for Jesus raising from the dead. I'd heard, I've heard the various theories. You know, there's the swoon theory where they believe he just didn't really die. He just appeared dead. And from the coolness of the tomb, he just kind of revived and came back to life three, three days later. You know, we've heard about the disciples stealing the body because they believed he had, you know, he had prophesied he was going, he told them he was going to raise from the dead. And so they said, let's make this come true. So they stole the body. These bumbling guys that all ran when Jesus was crucified. Didn't want to be associated with Him. Denied knowing Him. All of a sudden got the courage to challenge a Roman guard and to steal the body. I've, I've, I've known all these facts and they sit up on a shelf in my mind and I pull them out as needed. You know, if I'm having a discussion about whether it's real, I know about it. But the truth of the matter was, when I go to share the gospel, or used to go to share the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus, the resurrection wouldn't get much, if any, airtime. I wouldn't talk about it. 
Because it was just one of those things you need to, you need to have on the shelf to believe. And guys, I'm, I'm happy to tell you, I'm excited to tell you, that God has opened my eyes to me being wrong. Alright? I am very excited because of what He's shown me. I don't know how many years ago it's been. I say it's a few, but I find myself more and more these days when I say a few years, it's actually been a lot of years. But God has opened my eyes and continues to open my eyes to the significance of the resurrection. And I've learned, guys, I've learned that it's so much more than what I ever thought. It's so much more than what you typically hear. And we want to talk about that today very briefly because I know everybody's got dinner planned, right? Okay. Guys, first off, the resurrection of Jesus is so much more, I'm going to talk about four things it's so much more than. It's so much more than the second most popular religious holiday in America. And that kind of goes without saying. I don't have to put any Scripture to that simply because that should be accepted on face value. It's so much more than that. The second most popular, I believe Christmas is the most popular. The second thing is, it's so much more than a dead man coming back to life. Guys, that is true. I mean, I'm not, Jesus was alive, he died, and he came back to life. But if that's all it is, is a dead man coming back to life, he belongs in Ripley's Believe It or Not, or Guinness's Book of World Records, but not in the Bible, not to be the center of my faith. Guys, it's so much more than proof that Jesus is the Son of God. It is that. There is no doubt about it. But that's one of the things, if you would have asked me five, six, eight years ago, the significance of the resurrection, this is one of the facts I would have pulled off the shelf. Well, it's proof that He was the Son of God. But that had no impact really on my life. It had no impact on my faith. It was merely a fact. Now guys, I want you to know, it is proof. In Romans chapter 1, this is what it says. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the Gospel of God. The Gospel He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding His Son, who as to His earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the Spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Guys, it is a fact. Jesus raising from the dead was proof that He was the Son of God. Okay? But there's more to the story. Guys, it's more than just fulfilling prophecy. It's one of the things we just looked at in Romans chapter 1. And one of the things, again, that I would have looked at in my when I pulled my facts off the shelf about the resurrection, I would have talked about how the Old Testament prophecies written hundreds and thousands of years ago were fulfilled when Jesus rose from the dead. It's proof that what God... I mean, it's evidence of God to me that you have all these different people saying the same thing and then it happens. But to me, it was just a fact on the shelf. We talk it out and we use it to prove who Jesus was. Use it to prove that He was the Son of God. But there was so much more to it. 
Guys, it is those things. I'm not minimizing those things. I'm just trying to say it's more than just those things. Because those are the popular ones that I had. So what is it, Gary? What more is it? Well, first of all, guys, Jesus' resurrection is proof of the resurrection. See, typically when you hear somebody talk about the resurrection, what they're going to be talking about is the resurrection of Jesus. When I say Jesus' resurrection is proof of the resurrection, I'm talking about something that His resurrection is a part of, but it's not all about Him. You see, guys, God has told us that He's going to set this world right one day. And He's going to bring back everybody from the dead, and He's going to make the world the way He originally intended it to be. And that event is going to be known as the resurrection. In the days of Jesus, it was a very common belief. Though it was hotly debated among religious leaders, specifically the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were kind of like the Republicans and Democrats of the day, especially when it came to the resurrection. Guys, but you need to understand that when the resurrection was brought up to Jesus, He spoke of it as a reality. The Sadducees came to him one day and they asked the question. They say they brought him a scenario. You see, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. So they brought him a little scenario. They said, you know, let's say, uh, they said there's a, there was a woman and uh, she married a man and that man died before she was able to bear him children. So his brother, his next oldest brother married her because that's the Jewish law. It's what God had given them and told them to do. The next brother would, would marry her and would have children with her for his older brother to carry on the older brother's name. And he said, well, then he died and they didn't have any children, so the next brother did. And it went on down to like six or seven of these brothers all married her. And then she died without children. Now the question is, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Now that may seem odd, and it's commonly believed that the Sadducees were trying to trick Jesus. They were trying to prove that the resurrection wasn't real by bringing up this scenario that would be a problem if the resurrection actually occurs. You see, if the resurrection actually occurs, this woman is going to have six or seven men she was married to who are all there. Who's she married to? This is a problem, Jesus. What do we do? How can this be? And what they were trying to say is, Very clearly, God wouldn't create a mess like this. And that was what they were trying to say. And Jesus just simply says, He goes, well, you guys don't understand the Scriptures or the power of God. God puts them in their place, doesn't it? And He goes on to say, at the resurrection, there will be no marriage. That men and women will be like the angels. And I don't understand all that, but all I know is there will be no marriage. But the point I want to make, guys, is that Jesus just flat out says, at the resurrection, He recognized it as a reality, as a fact. And guys, if you look in your notes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is kind of the uh, commentary, if you will, on resurrection. And this is what it has to say. Beginning in verse 12, it says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now guys, I don't know if you caught all that, and I'm going to go back through it here in a little bit, but I just want to summarize it. If you take the resurrection out of our faith, or out of the message of the Gospel, it's worth nothing. That's what he just said. It is so significant to the good news of Jesus that if you take it out, he says our faith is futile. And he goes on to say, that all of the apostles of Jesus are liars. I think that deserves a little bit of airtime in my faith, don't you? I think I need to pay more attention to the resurrection of Jesus. I need to understand what it is all about. And guys, we're going to begin looking at this more in depth. I know I did a little two or three weeks back in the fall. I talked about this. Alan and I are going to go a little bit more in depth uh, over the coming weeks about this and to talk about w- what the resurrection is all about and what it means to us practically and how it impacts our life and how it impacts our faith. But for here right now today, guys, you need to know this is a significant event. It's not something you can take or leave when it comes to following Jesus. Do you know that? That's what he's saying here, guys. Listen to this. You go back through it. See, you can't accept that Jesus rose from the dead and reject the idea of the resurrection that everybody is going to be raised from the dead. You can't, as a follower of Jesus, say, yes, I believe He rose from the dead. I believe that, that He fulfilled all the prophecies. I believe that, that, that God proved He was the Son of God by raising Him from the dead. And then go over here to the resurrection and go, you know, that sounds a little hokey. You know, that's not what I've always been taught. Okay, that sounds a little little superstitious. Maybe even prehistoric superstitious. He says you can't believe this without believing that. And you can't believe in the resurrection without believing that Jesus rose from the dead. Guys, if you have one, you have to have the other. You can't have one without the other. Now, with that being said, guys, I have to ask you, how much do you, how much airtime does the resurrection get in your mind? In your conversations? In your discussions with fellow believers? How much do you talk about how good it's gonna be? You see, because at the resurrection, it, other places in 1 Corinthians 15, it tells us the really exciting part for us over 50. We're getting a new body. 
a new body. There will be no sickness. And it will never die. That's the promise of Jesus, is eternal life. It tells us that sin won't have the power over us that it does now. Guys, I don't know about you, but that gets me a little pumped. That gets me very excited. And guys, that's what this is all about. Have you ever heard somebody make the statement that even if all the stuff about eternal life and about Jesus coming back isn't true, even if, even if that's not true, the Bible is still the best way to live your life. Have you anybody ever heard that? You've heard that? Can I tell you, Paul just disagreed with you? Listen, look at this. Look at the last sentence of there. If only for this life we have hope in Christ... We are of all people most to be pitied. Most to be pitied. And what he's saying is, guys, you either take a look at the resurrection and you believe in it, or you're wasting your time. You understand what God has promised for you, or you're to be pitied. That's the choice that's before you. And guys, I want to tell you, For me, that's an easy choice. I don't want to waste my time. I know my life here on on this earth is short. It's even shorter now than I used to think it was. It is short. I'll be 54 in June, and I don't know how much longer I'll live, but I can see the end. Okay? I can see the end. And I want to know that my life isn't over then. Guys, the second thing that we want to talk about, the resurrection, is the resurrection is the beginning of real hope. Of real hope. Look at this passage here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. See guys, two weeks ago I was up here and I talked about the message of Jesus. And we talked about that God is in the restoration business God is trying to restore the world or renew the world to the way it was in the beginning, to the way He intends for it to be. We looked in Matthew chapter 19 where Jesus talks about at the renewal of all things. And then we looked in Acts chapter 3 where the apostles are teaching and they said that Jesus has been made King in heaven where He must reign until the time comes to restore all things. Colossians chapter 1 talks about the reconciliation of all things. And the guys, I don't know about you, but I think we live in a pretty crappy world a lot of the time. I, I don't know, it just, Friday night I was going to, we go to sleep with the TV on, and I don't know what it was. It was Dateline or, uh, 
40 hours, 48 hours, whatever it was. It was one of them kind of shows. And they had something different. And it had more had the flavor of Jerry Springer than it did a new show. I mean, they took something real that actually happened where a guy posted a picture of himself and his co-worker's son in the background while he was at work on Facebook. And there were derogatory racial comments made about it. And now they had him on trial. And if I wanted to, I could have called in and voted for whether or not he was guilty or not. And it was just, it was just, it was just ridiculous. And it intrigued me at first, and then it disgusted me. It disgusted me that things like that happen. It disgusted me like there's no, I mean, you, you listen to both sides, and you know neither side was telling the, to, the total truth. You didn't, because they just wanted to prove their point. And it just, it just, I had to turn it off finally. I had to go to sleep. First, I wanted to vote. Guys, we live in a sick world. God wants to make that world healthy. He wants to make it new. And guys, what's that have to do with the resurrection? Well, Peter's talking here and he says that it's through the resurrection that we've been given a new birth. A new birth. Now guys, we talk about God's trying to restore the world. You look around right now and we've got this, this stage all decorated up. And it's the best that we could do to, re- to resemble a garden. As most of you know, if you've read the, the Genesis account of creation, God created life in a garden. Jesus, when He was resurrected from the dead, He was, he was out of the tomb and Mary comes they come, Mary and the ladies come to put, uh, embalm the body, basically, put spices on the body, and they run into a gardener, or they thought, they thought Jesus was the gardener. You see, the tomb was in a garden type of environment. And guys, I believe there's no coincidence because God uses patterns like that all through the Bible with the tabernacle and the temple. And I believe He birthed the world and life as we know it in a garden, and He was rebirthing the world in a garden again. Guys, that's what I believe is going on here. And He said, we've been given this rebirth, or this new birth. And new birth simply means a renewal or a restoration. God has started His restoration process with the resurrection of Jesus. I don't have time to get into it real in depth today, But two weeks ago, I talked about this more in depth. That the world is a mess, but there are pockets that are being restored right now. And those pockets are the lives of the followers of Jesus. Now the crazy part is, I don't know if it's the crazy part, but the fact is, just because you're a follower of Jesus or claim to be a follower of Jesus does not mean that you are being renewed. You know that? If you're familiar with Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and following, Jesus talks about, He says, not everyone who calls Me Lord is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, only him who does the will of My Father who is in heaven. And He goes on to say, many are going to come to Me in that day and they're going to say, hey Lord, didn't we prophesy in Your name? Didn't we drive out demons in Your name? Didn't we do lots of religious things in your name? And he said that he's going to say plainly to them, 
Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. You see, guys, what do you got? You have people claiming to be followers of Jesus, but I believe what you have is you have religious people. You have people who have not chosen to allow God to renew their life. To restore it. And by renewal, we just mean you're going to live the way God intends for you to live. If He's going to restore the world to the way it's supposed to be, I can't live the way I'm living now there. You know that? I'm as good guys you all think I am. I got some problems. And I need renewed. The question is, will I work with God on allowing Him to renew me? Or will I just go about it myself? Guys, the third thing. And this is a little bit of a repeat, but it's a continuation of the last point. Is that the resurrection gives us real hope and joy. Real hope and joy. And I really want to focus in on the joy because we just talked about the hope. Guys, in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, continuing on, we looked at verses 3 and 4, the first half of verse 4. In the last point, we begin in verse 4, it says, This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Guys, what he's saying, we just got done talking about that we've been given this new birth through the resurrection. And then he goes, then he goes talking about this and he says, in all this you greatly rejoice. How many of you describes that day, your daily life? You get up and you greatly rejoice. Right? Guys, I gotta tell you, I, God's renewed me when it comes to struggling with depression. But when it comes to being full of joy on a daily, hourly, minutely basis, I've got a whole lot of growing to do. I persevere. I, now I consider myself a perseverer with a frown on my face. Maybe gritting my teeth, you know, jaw to the wind. Guys, the resurrection can give us a real joy because it tells us, what's it say here? That now for a little while, you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trial. That little while, that describes our entire life. Do you know that? The life as we know it, when you look around and you see it, is very short. And eternity is very long. And the resurrection says eternity is real. And it's going to be better than anything you can ever imagine. And guys, that's what enables a person to be full of joy in spite of what they're dealing with, in spite of what they're going through. Guys, the resurrection tells us that. Look at this in Romans chapter 8. It says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by 
this same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. See guys, if you're a believer in Jesus, that that passage is going to tell us two things. He tells us that the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead does two things for us. Number one, it's going to raise us from the dead too. Okay? That's good. That's what we're talking about. But it does something now also. And what it does is it gives you the power to say no to your sinful desires. He says, he says, because you have no obligation to sin. Anybody in here that, 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 that has struggled with sin, that has tried to overcome anything that God recognizes as sin, knows that it can be a battle, correct? And I don't care if you've never touched drugs or alcohol or pornography, you have something in your life that takes the form of an addiction. And what I mean by that is you can't stop doing it on your own. That's what it's saying. You understand where there's something you've tried to quit and you feel like you have no power to overcome it. You feel obligated to do what your sinful nature tells you to do. Paul is telling you here, no, that's not true. You have no obligation because of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. Guys, when you realize this, when you start understanding it and living by it, you can smile a whole lot more. I've said it before, some of my biggest struggles, and I don't care what it is, if it's lust, if it's having a bad attitude towards somebody, if it's prejudging somebody, and I don't mean that in the sense of a prejudice, uh, in the sense of color, but in the sense of just whatever, you know, based on their economics, or the way they dress, or the way they act. I've, I'm guilty of judging people that way, Okay? And God has brought me so far. He has renewed me in a lot of those things. But I want to tell you, I'm still tempted. And do you know what I do when I'm tempted now? I smile. Because it has no power. I'm amazed that I'm still tempted with lust. Because I cannot tell you how many hundreds of thousands of times I've said no to it. And when I'm smiling, I'm like... Really? Can't you come up with something better than that? And then then it goes on to something else. And I find myself thinking thoughts of a person, you know, judging them. And I go, boy, I shouldn't do that. I mean, just a simple one is driving down the road. You know, and somebody's tail... I hate tailgaters. That's my pet peeve driving. And I drive down the road, and I've concocted ways in in my mind of dealing with tailgaters, you know. Thought about having a little chute that comes out the back. You can shoot stuff onto their windshield. You know? I'd love to be able to shoot just little pieces of rotten banana. You know, smear all over their windshield. I have a wreck. I know that. And guys, any anymore, I catch myself doing that. And instead of doing that, you know what I'm doing? I'm like, you know, they probably got a good reason for being in a hurry. Maybe I should get out of their way. It doesn't happen all the time. 
But guys, things that used to aggravate me, that used to cause me to sin, don't anymore. And I'm learning to put a smile on my face. Guys, the resurrection of Jesus reminding me that there is new birth, that there is a renewal coming, and that I can choose to be a part of that right now is a joyous occasion. You see, guys, I'm sorry to say, but I don't want to say it. I can't say I've lived my entire Christian life that way. In fact, I've lived most of it the other way, trying to get things done on my own and failing repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. You see, there's two passages of Scripture. One is in Ephesians chapter 1, and one is in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and what he tells them, he's talking about him praying for them, and he says, I want you to understand the power of God. I want to open your, your eyes of your heart to know His will. I want you to know the power that's available to you. This is what he's praying for. He goes, I want you guys to know the power. And he says, it's the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. He said, I want you to know that power that's available to you. That power that we just read about in Romans chapter 8. The power to say no to sin. The power to live victoriously as a new creation. In 2 Timothy 3 and verse 5, it talks about a different group of people. And it describes them as having a form of godliness, but denying its power. You see, guys, we have a choice. Just because the power is available to us doesn't mean we will use it. And I guarantee you, if you're not thinking about the resurrection, if you're not aware of the significance of the resurrection, and all that's involved in that, you're not tapping into the power that God has for you. You see, it's kind of like uh, my son Jordan, when he was a toddler, my wife signed us up to go to a uh, class at the Y, you know, father-son swimming class. It's one of those where you take them in and you kind of get them acclimated to the water, you hold them up, you blow in their face and put them under the water so they learn to hold their breath. And it didn't take very long, Jordan loved the water. And it didn't take very long till he wanted in the water, but he didn't want me holding it. And so he was pushing away, pushing away. And so, me being the wise father that I was, let him go. You know, he'll figure this out, won't he? So I let him go, you know, I don't let him drown, I don't let him go very long, but I let him know there's a struggle there. And I pick him up, you know, and he coughing and spittering and cuffing the water out and wiping it off his eyes and getting it all off and he kind of gets his composure. And as soon as he gets his composure, you know what he does? Pushes away again. I don't know how long that went on, but I got tired of it before he did. Okay? And now, guys, the truth of the matter is, we tend to be more like Jordan in the swimming pool when it comes to trying to live a renewed life. We don't take advantage of the power that's available to us. We want to do it on our own. And we go under the water. And guys, I want to tell you, if you're going to take advantage of the power that's available... And you're going to have that joy that's in your life. You're going to have to understand this resurrection of Jesus is more than a holiday in the spring. It's the most significant event in our faith. And we need to know it and understand it. And take advantage of it. Let's pray and we'll be done, shall we? 
Father, I thank You for opening my eyes. I'm still learning. I don't claim to know it all. But Father, I know that my approach to Easter and to the resurrection was wrong. Father, I thank You for Your patience with me and just just allowing me to see what's there. Allowing me to understand what I was missing. Father, I want to pray right now. I mean, it's Easter. And we are thinking about this in some form or fashion. But the truth of the matter is, this ought to be on our hearts and our minds every day of our lives. Father, I pray You open our eyes to see what You want us to see, to understand it. Father, when I talk about the power to say no to the sinful nature, and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, Father, that sheds a whole new light on things. Because my problems are very small when compared to raising a dead body. Father, I want us to be a group of people that embodies the life that You want us to have, that embodies new creation. Father, I pray You open our eyes and help us to understand the resurrection. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.